Kabarovsk Airlines let L-410s on its way to the Nelkin Airport in Russia when they run into a problem. What caused this flight to crash on their expedition? Welcome back to the Hard Lightnings Podcast, everybody. I'm Nick. I'm Miranda. And I'm Christy. Oh, hey. And drinking a cocktail. Cool. I am drinking wine. Wine? Wine. Vino. Vino. Welcome back. We don't have any new patrons as far as I'm aware. I don't. Welcome no. back to Kate. I know you reestablished your patronage. Yes. I think we said that. that last time, though. I don't remember. I don't know. I like, <laughs> I like just stating it just in case. I like Kate, Thanks. so. Because I forget and stuff. Yeah. And sorry for cussing so early in the episode. <laughs> you didn't even make it two minutes. Nope. Anyway. Anyway. If you would like ducks, we just packaged our last order. They'll did, come did, out soon. Did we bring up the signed? Yes. I brought up the signed duck. And I put it in, in the thing. Okay. So if you have ordered ducks and you have not received them, you should receive them shortly. For if those. you ordered them before March 12th. Yes. No, not even nope. necessarily. January. Not okay. E- no. Paige knows. I don't know. <laughs> don't anyway, if you, ha- if you do not receive them in the next couple of weeks, then we have not done your order yet and we will get to them. We are sorry. We're, we're same thing on it. with uh, if you have patron stuff. Yes. Same thing. We're also getting caught up on that stuff. So please be patient. If you try to use your discount code and it's not working, just email us and we'll fix it. It yep. is fixable. You can also ping us on Patreon or Facebook or Instagram or DM us on Twitter. Literally anywhere. Anywhere. Even Literally, the TikTok. Even the TikTok. Which we haven't done anything. Don't before. think Nothing. that I'm going to respond to you on TikTok because as both of these guys know, I never answer my TikTok messages. I don't even know if I'm talking. Not until months later and then you watch everything at once and then you laugh and I'm like, yeah, it was funny two months ago. Hey, <laughs> it's still funny now. I'm not even sure if, I, if I've tied the podcast TikTok to mine yet or not. We had someone volunteer to run our TikTok. Cool. Caitlin. Oh, really? Yep. The Gen Z. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's true. I think she should do all of the... <laughs> so she suggested that. I'm like, honey, I had to make you download Facebook and download Facebook Messenger. You didn't even know how to use Facebook. And she's like, yeah, you're right. Anyway. Yeah, but But if she different. had the time to Facebook's figure it out... our generation. <laughs> she can figure it out. If, it's not hard. If, if she has some time and she wants to help... That would be. She even offered to do it for free, which makes me cringe a little bit. The same way that Paige offered to do things for free. And I actually. Yeah, but running just our TikTok is different than editing and doing all the mailing and doing all the stuff. Yes. Paige. Thank you. <laughs> Stop it. Okay. We don't do it that often. No, not anymore. Not anymore. But, but you still do it every now and again. So, sorry for the, like, the rambly start to this episode. What are we covering today, Nick? Today! We are covering Khabarovsk, Khabarovsk, yeah, that airlines flight four sixty three. It starts with a K. There is no K. We looked it up. Khabarovsk. Thanks to Alan. No, I thought it was, is it Alan? No, it's Alan. Oh, okay. Alan. Our patron Alan for recommending this. Not, Alan. Not, not. I want to make Miranda mad, Alan. No, this is Alan two Alan with an E N instead of an A N. Yes, yeah. this is Alan, not Alan. <laughs> 
I was thinking of next week's episode as Tiernan. Yes, you are correct. Also, listen, next week I get to yell at Nick. Just saying. For lying to us. I Again? Lie. What did you do this time? I didn't lie. We'll get into that argument next week. Okay. Anyways. Which actually for us is in a couple of days, so I get to yell at you. Great. In a couple of days. Anyway. Great. Anyways. Habarovsk. Yes. This accident occurred on November 15th of 2017. This was relatively recent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This was a Aircraft Industries Let L410. We've talked about LETs before? Yes, we have talked about LETs. not very often. No. These are, for those that don't recall, a twin-engine turboprop high-wing small aircraft. They are primarily used for passengers and cargo into very inaccessible airports. They are very, very similar to the Twin Otter and the Dornier 228. They fall in the exact same class of aircraft. They're used in places like Lukla in, in Nepal, which if you've never looked that one up, please do yourself a favor. What's that other runway that's like a challenge in flight sim that starts with a CH? Courchevel. That one. Yes. That has a CH, rather. Yes. That is a crazy airport. They land there, too, I'm assuming? No. Oh. That runway's even shorter. Oh. It's only intended for very small GA birds. Oh. So, but this aircraft is Czech-built, small, very small, utilitarian, very capable, but no. relatively rare, new, new, or newer, not super new, but newer. Remind me, sorry, is Czechoslovakia? Mm-hmm. It is not Did called it, that anymore. It's the Czech Republic. Well, was it? Did it used to be part of the SSR? Very long yes. time ago. I feel like, yes. How dare you ask me history questions? I'm sorry. I'm trying to fill it in in my brain because this report <sighs> comes from Russia. Yes. Well, it did crash in Russia, so. I was just curious. Because I know during World War II, Germany ended up. Yes, taking. Taking. Czechoslovakia. Yes. yes. But I don't know if they took it. As its own country or from the USSR? I did not want a whole lecture. You <laughs> asked the question. Therefore, it gave you, you get a lecture. A lecture. And these days, I believe it's called Czechia. The country? Yes, in a very the simplified... Czech Republic. Yes, the Czech Republic is how we refer to it. But it is, yeah, it's just for those of you that needed this. Soviet invasion of Czechoslovakia in 1968. Oh, really? Did they that actually late? take it? Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's just... Ho- holy What? On January 19th, 1969, the student Jan Palak set himself on fire cool. in Prague's Wenceslas Square to protest the invasion of Czechoslovakia by the Soviet Union. Great. That's a way to, you know, tell people you're not happy with it. Yes. Also a hissing, screaming cat. Yeah, it's just called Czechia. Czechia, yeah. Anyways. One of my good friends from work is Czech. I know someone who had a Czech name. Jenna. Her last name is... Yes. Uh, what's his face? I think that's how it's pronounced. Alex. I think so. From high school. Worked with me as a lifeguard. Hmm. Oh. His last name was Czech. I don't even remember his last name anymore. And then, for those of you who didn't know this, this is only relevant because I'm talking about Jenna, dear friend. There was a very large wave of Czech immigrants to Texas. Yes. So, Czech food is a very big thing in Texas. For some reason. That's weird. And that won us a trivia question at our work trivia night because they asked what Czech food is very popular in Texas, blah, blah. And I was sitting with Susie and Jenna. And I'm they like, would know. We won. We're, we're done. We won. 
Okay, sorry. Anyways, Please continue. Well, and the whole oh reason that it's just the Czech Republic or Czechia now is because Slovakia is also another country. So. Oh. Yes. Oh. That's, I it's didn't not know Czechoslovakia that. because it's two different countries. Czech now. and Slovakia. Different countries. Yes. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got yes. Okay. I'm very bad at world history, by the way. It's okay. After we weren't world taught world it very well either. You are correct. Thank you to the American public school system. Yep. It's true. So, sorry for all the tangents. We're trying to fill in time because this might not be the longest of episodes. So, this was a flight from Khabarovsk to Nelkan. Or Nelkan. Are, are, are those in Russia? Both are in Russia. Okay. They're both on the eastern end of Russia. Pretty far to the east, anyways. And this flight is pretty much straight north from one to the other. Okay. Just to put in perspective kind of what we're talking about. Yeah. I, I could show you a map, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> I, I don't need the map. I appreciate the, the thought, but... They're both pretty small towns, and they're surprisingly far apart. The captain for this flight was Igor Shumakov. He was 42 years old at the time. He had 12,076 hours total, of which 1,243 hours were on the Let L410. So about 10% of his hours. A little over. The first officer was Alexander Zwev, or Zwev. He was 30 years old at the time. He had 1,220 hours total, of which 837 were on the Let L410. So he was definitely newer. And he was one of those. One of those. He was one of those. He was one of those. His wow. his full name is Alexander Alexandrovich. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> what? What is... I, I realize we talked about this before. Like, yes. you get the surname of the first name of your person who birthed a, you. Yes, so... <laughs> you. I'm actually sure it's the father who is not the one who performed the birthing. Vich, as the yeah, you have the ending the of the bitch. name. Yes, it it means son of or mm-hmm. or spawn so, of. So spawn uh, of. <laughs> that's nice. So Alexander Alexandrovich was the son of Alexander. Miranda's got one of those <laughs> names. Son. Yes. Son of. Son of. Yes. <laughs> Although I'm not the son of. Whoever had the original last name probably was the son of Um, It's also a very popular thing to do in Scandinavia. I believe that. The original flight plan, filed the day before the accident, would have the flight make a fuel stop en route at Nikolaevsk on Amur. <clears throat> okay. Yep, That it's all like one thing with hyphens. Mm, and it's okay. still called that. It's not. It's only been a few years, obviously, but like that is the crazy name. In case you haven't gathered, Nick is not Eastern European. No. Gosh, no. On the day of the accident, five passengers and two crew boarded the flight. Our two flight crew plus five passengers. So it's not a very big flight, obviously. At 8 a.m. local time, pre-flight preparations began, including a medical examination of the crew, because that's a thing they do. We've talked about this in a recent episode, too. Yeah, with... It? India. We... No, it wasn't India. It was... Wasn't it? Yeah, it was Air India Express. Yeah. Yeah, it was Air India Express. You're right. So anyways, yeah, they had a medical examination. While this was occurring, new f- information was received that the runway at Nikolaevsk on Amur runway was closed for snow removal. Oh, okay. Because of this, the route was changed to include Chumakan as the fuel stop <laughs> instead. These towns are pretty much just as far north on the route as one another, but the new route would have them traveling further west, basically. 
okay. than east in order to do so. With the flight crew cleared to fly, they proceeded to the aircraft, where they received maintenance data, which had no findings, and then they received weather data for the route and destination. With all pre-flight operations completed and all passengers and cargo on board, the engines were started and they taxied to the runway for departure. The captain was to be the pilot flying, while the first officer was to be the pilot monitoring for this flight. The flight took off from Khabarovsk at 9.33 a.m. local time. The takeoff was normal. The climb and cruise portions of the flight were also normal. One hour and 35 minutes into the flight, just 50 minutes before they were due to arrive at Chumakan for fuel, the flight crew did some calculations for fuel. They did some boop-de-boops. Some boop-de-boops. They determined that they would actually no longer need to make a fuel stop, and they could instead continue straight to Nelkin. Fun fact, that is not foreshadowing. It is not. Yes, oh. you have the foreshadow look on your face. It's like, and I know, I figured when I wrote that, I was like, ooh, suspicious. That is not foreshadowing. That is not foreshadowing, Don't be actually. suspicious. No, there was literally nothing leading up to this that would have been a precursor to what happened. Oh, okay. Yep. That that doesn't bode well, but okay. Sadly, you have absolutely zero foreshadowing no, so far. I have nothing to go on. Nothing. Assuming Nick doesn't say what the crew says. No, I don't have any quotes or anything at all. Okay, good. They determined that they would no longer need to stop for fuel and could instead continue straight to Nelkin. They contacted the air traffic controller and requested the route change to proceed direct to Nelkin. They were to pass the Oscar Golf Uniform Mike India Waypoint, or Ogumi. I don't know. Okay. Then follow the Bravo 226 airway direct to Nelkin. The air traffic controller approved the route change request, and they proceeded to pass over their fuel stop and just continue. At 12.35 p.m., it has now been three hours and two minutes they have been in flight in this little birdie. Okay. That is a solidly long flight for a little bird like this. Would you say as far as cramped quarters-wise, would it be comparable to that CRJ we were on? Smaller. Oh. Ew. Much. It's This is not a big airplane. <laughs> not at all. How many people were on board again? There are five passengers, five passengers and okay. two crew. Okay. The airplane was not full, though, by any means. Three hours and two minutes into the flight, they contacted the Nelkin Tower. The tower controller provided the crew with the approach conditions for runway 04 and the weather conditions at the airport. The flight crew performed the approach doing a right-hand landing pattern, just a pretty traditional landing pattern doing yeah. right turns. This is, we've talked about this before, this is flying 101. This is one of the things you do from the very beginning is learn how to do a pattern. Mm -hmm. But arguably, this is one of the most... Mm, Confusing things, terms. terms, because a right pattern does not mean you go around the right side of the runway. It's to the left of the runway. It's to the left of the right runway using turns. right turns. And vice versa, doing a left pattern is to the right side of the runway using left turns. Okay. Depending on your perspective. Yes. That's why it's easier to just say what kind of turns you're making. Right. That's why they say right-hand pattern, left-hand pattern. You're making all right turns, you're making all left turns. To clarify that. So when you hear right pattern, left pattern, you're thinking turns, not side of the runway. Got it. Okay. Hmm. Flaps were set to 18 degrees and the landing gear was lowered. The crew reported that they were established and ready for landing to the air traffic controller, and the air traffic controller subsequently cleared the flight to land. As the aircraft reached the final approach at 5 kilometers and 400 meters above ground level, because that's what they did in this report, was do all metric. Thank you very much. <laughs> Oi! It is Russia. It is. It's a little bit infuriating because aviation doesn't work entirely in metric. Please refer to that one previous episode where we talk about how China and Russia do and North Korea do stupid things. Yes. Well, and at this time, 
the aircraft were all back into, you know, aviation standard, standard, not doing metric. This aircraft was not metric, but they did this in the report, which is a bit infuriating, because why would you translate something that already has a unit? But I think nowadays, and it was brought up in an email or comments to us, an Mm -hmm. email that aircraft have switches. So you can switch between them. Some do, but it's still not recommended by the ICAO or the IATA. It's best to standardize because of... Safety. Safety. The units that you're using being, especially when using feet rather than meters, are significantly more accurate. Refer to (laughs) episode insert number here. Yes. It was the one about the the one in China that... Mm -hmm. Korean Air Cargo Flight 6316. Also, we got in that email... That China still works in metric. Yeah. Yeah. I'm but sure North Korea does too. But most of their aircraft No one no one flies in North Korea though. Except but, North Koreans. Yes. But most of their aircraft are still Imperial because and aviation because they're mostly produced in the US. The US and France. Yes. <laughs> the autopilot was disengaged and the captain took manual control of the aircraft with the airport in sight. This is normal. Yep. Very normal. I'm waiting for it to not be normal. Right. Well, <laughs> here we go. So now we're going on almost four hours in flight. 1.10 p.m. and 44 seconds. During the approach to runway 04, as the aircraft reached 100 meters above ground level and about 100 knots indicated airspeed, the throttles were advanced and the aircraft suddenly entered a right roll of about 20 to 25 degrees, which was accompanied by a sudden loss of speed. The flight crew tried to arrest the right roll, but the loss of speed was too great. 1.10 p.m. and 53 seconds, the aircraft was still at 100 meters above ground level, but now 76 knots. When the stall horn activated, the aircraft completed a full barrel roll as it fell toward the ground. Oh, way to take my thunder. Sorry. I, these are the facts. I'm not stealing what happened. I know. The aircraft struck the trees and subsequently the ground in a marshy mountainous area just two kilometers or 1.1 nautical mile from the runway. The aircraft was completely destroyed with much of the fuselage crushed and this was because they had very little forward speed when they hit. They pretty much fell. Straight down. Straight down? Yeah. So it crushed the fuselage. The aircraft did not cause any injuries on the ground nor do any damage to anything other than some trees. There was no fire from the crash. Six of the seven people on board perished in the accident. The sole survivor, yes, this is a sole survivor accident, was a three-year-old girl who was found by rescuers shortly... sucks. Yes, shortly after the crash and was rushed to the hospital with serious injuries. She lived. She lived. That still sucks. Yep. Sole survivor situations suck. They do. This is not the first one we've covered of a small child of a female toddler well and the the crazy thing about this is to think that this child is still only nine oh don't say that that's weird why'd you do that just saying is that right yes it's been only six years i don't like you (laughs) that was rude hasn't even quite been six years either hush just stop talking continue that's it for me oh tis indeed your turn Okay, this investigation was performed by the Interstate Aviation Committee of Russia, also known as the IAC, which in Russian, whatever abbreviation is, M-A-K, with the assistance of the Czech Air Accidents Investigation Institute as the state of manufacture. There is a different name in Czech, and I'm not going to even try. Go look it up on Wikipedia. Both black boxes were found and were able to be downloaded along with the Garmin data from the avionics. 
That's good. This was absolutely crucial because everything in the analysis was based on that. Yes, indeedy. This is going to be a relatively quick one because the Russians were very short and to the point for the most part. On approach, flaps were at 18 degrees and the landing gear was lowered. The crew started to perform the final approach and at a distance of 5 kilometers and a height of 400 meters or 1,300 feet, the autopilot was disengaged and the captain reported runway in sight. This phase of the approach was done within the range of 100 to 115 knots, which corresponds to the reference landing speed of 80 knots, which sounds really low, but is very realistic for this aircraft and is why it can land at places like Lukla in Nepal. Yes, exactly. It has a very low landing speed and takeoff speed. The abnormal situation began at 1.10 and 38 seconds local time with a speed of 108 knots. No input was made to any control surfaces or engines or anything of the sort. And yet the magnetic heading changed to 10 degrees to the right in the span of five seconds. Yes, you have the suspicious look now. And then they started to roll to the right, reaching 20 to 25 degrees in four to five seconds. During the next 7 to 8 seconds, the crew used the rudder and ailerons to try to compensate for the roll change, at which time the captain said, hush, hush, what is going on? And the first officer said, it is the beta range on. Now you might be asking, what the f- is the beta range? <laughs> Good timing. <laughs> you might ask. <laughs> the L410 has a constant speed propeller, meaning that they change their engine RPM using the angle of the propeller blades, and the crew can control the blade pitch from the cockpit. Just like a ceiling fan in your house, the direction of the blades changes the direction of the air. In one direction, your ceiling fan sends the air downward to cool the room. But in the winter, you flip the switch on the side and the fan is now pulling air upward and pushing the warm air near the ceiling down the sides of the room. Though in this example, it changes the direction of the spin and not the blade angle itself. Don't at me. Right. So what do you think beta range is now? The blade angle turns negative and is now pushing air forward instead of propelling it backward. Which is not good. This creates a huge drag. It's worse than when the blades are just flat, which also causes a problem because it acts as a wall and creates a lot of drag. But nothing like pushing air in the opposite direction instead. Which is why they would turn. Mm-hmm. But Correct. why did one engine do that and the other didn't? So let me get there. In this case, the blade angle was negative 1.8 degrees, well below the in-flight minimum of 13.5 degrees or 12 degrees, depending on where in the report you read this. Beta range or reverse pitch is usually only used during landing to decelerate, but it can also be used to move an aircraft backwards during taxi. I don't know how often that happens, but it's a thing. Not super often, but occasionally. And with these aircraft, it's probably more common than most, because most aircraft, the reverse thrust does, does not propel do that. you backward. No, yeah. it does not propel you it backward. It just slows you down. Not unless you have bucket. Type reversers. Which or case you, you still should not do that. Right. It's still not a good idea because you can't see. Yeah. Or you have these and, you know, turboprops. That's that's a possibility. Again, not a good idea. But this drag on the right side of the aircraft not only caused a roll, but also an overall decrease in airspeed. At 110 and 53 seconds at a height of 100 meters, the speed was down to 76 knots and they had a vertical speed of 1.15 Gs when the CVR recorded the stall warning. Three to four seconds later, at 80 meters of altitude, speed of 72 knots and vertical acceleration 1.2 to 1.25 Gs, an aggressive right roll started, and the investigators discerned from the flight data recorder and the wreckage that they had performed a full barrel roll. It is worth noting that the crew had not feathered the right engine, which would have brought the propeller blades to a neutral position and eliminated the drag. They had not done anything to the engine, in fact. Why? Well, they had no training on what to do when the beta range light came on in flight. Why were they not trained? 
The manufacturer, Aircraft Industries, a.k.a. LET, said they didn't need to be trained for this. During certification, LET performed a probability evaluation on the chances of a propeller uncommanded setting into the beta range and found it to be 10 to the negative 14th, which means 1 in 100 trillion. That's fun. Yeah, but, okay, listen here, Linda. What about that one time? <laughs> so that This is happens. that one time. So statistically speaking, they said that this is less than the very low probability of one in a trillion, I think, is what it was. No, one in a billion. Whatever one to the negative ninth is, I'm not in math class anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's the point at which it's considered nigh impossible. So it's, a, it's an incredibly low, there's no way in hell chance. So why the hell did it happen? But it happened, though. Right. If it's literally, there's no chance, then why did it happen? That's the question. It is worth noting that the investigators could not go into further detail on the physics behind the whole accident because the aircraft industries could not perform a dynamic simulation of the accident flight due to lack of crucial aerodynamic data, namely the negative thrust influence to the airplane flight performance, but also because the accident situation had been deemed so improbable during certification. You can do as many mechanical dynamic calculations as you want, but if you don't have the initial conditions for the equation, there's no way to perform the full calculation. And some of the needed values were not recorded on the flight data recorder. And that's just a sad tragedy. It is, honestly, because that just means they literally can't... They can't replicate ...replicate what happened. Therefore, investigators were unable to determine the cause of the uncommanded aircraft rule, specifically whether or not it was caused by exceeding the stall angle or by the deficiency of aileron control movement needed for counteracting the existing aerodynamic disturbances. The propeller manufacturer, Avia, agreed that without the negative thrust data, there was no way to perform a simulation of the aircraft's dynamic behavior. But. 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 This all still begs the question of how did the blade pitch drop to negative values? It's a very good question. Based on the design of the propeller system, two conditions need to be met for the propeller to uncommandedly change to a negative angle of attack. One, the beta feedback system must fail, a system which prevents the propeller blades from going below 13 and a half degrees. The probability of this failure was deemed to be 1 in 10 million for one flight hour. Second, the pitch lock valve solenoid must fail, a system which prevents the blades from going below 9 degrees, which has a probability of 1 in a million for one flight hour. That was a lot of technical mumbo-jumbo. Yes, it was. And that was pretty much how the whole next section of the analysis went, and they did not provide pictures to assist with understanding these mechanisms other than one full system schematic, which was not very helpful, as it turns out. Love that. Also, note to whoever cares, please don't publish reports in English and still keep the graphs in Russian. (laughs) Yeah. But it might be easier to play devil's advocate. Might be easier for them to translate the actual report, but harder to translate the actual graph. It still makes things. I couldn't read like most of the graphs. They would be like, look at this very important point. I'm like, I don't know what you mean by that point. You labeled this thing on the graph and I don't, whatever. I understand. I don't. I'm just saying. Anyway, so let me pare this down as much as I can for your sake and for mine. On the first point, the beta feedback system was not interrupted mechanically or electrically. The beta valve, a part of that system, and is what would have activated to prevent the propeller from moving below 13 and a half degrees, was found damaged, but the damage was found to be caused by impact. Quote, it was not determined why the beta valve failed to prevent the propeller in-flight movement below minimum flight blade angle, end quote. 
So they don't know. So that was the first thing that needed to fail. They don't know if, how, or why it failed. Which they is just great. know it failed. It had to have for this thing to happen, but they found no evidence of it failing. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, right. So helpful. Copy and paste. On the second point, the pitch lock solenoid valve assembly was fully disassembled and no damage was found. Quote, it was not determined why the pitch lock solenoid valve was not activated when the propeller had moved below minimum flight blade angle and beta status enunciation got on. Therefore, the examinations, including the propeller governor full disassembly, didn't let to determine the cause of the propeller movement below minimum flight blade angle 13 and a half degrees. Don't you just love translated reports? And of the pitch lock solenoid valve failure to be activated when the blade had reached the angle of nine degrees. End quote. Great. So they don't know how, if, why, anything about these two systems, but they both had to have failed for this to happen based on the design of the system. One more point here. The crew is to perform a pitch lock test for the first flight of the day every day to make sure that the propeller pitch lock system is working. What if they didn't do that? Also, that may or may not be foreshadowing for a recommendation. Based on what data is and is not recorded on the flight data recorder, it is impossible to know for sure if the crew did perform the test. However, from the data that was recorded, it's possible that it was performed at about 9 a.m., the test includes bringing thrust to idle and moving the propeller control lever from feather to the fine pitch position. When the propeller speed ramps up to 700 RPM, the propeller pitch lock test button is pressed and held. When this happens, the propeller speed must stop rising and both propeller pitch lock amber lights in the cockpit must come on. Then the button is released and the propeller speed must rise to about 920 RPM plus or minus 60 and the two lights must then turn off. The FDR shows that the crew most probably did the test by short-pressing the button for one to two seconds. This was probably enough time for the amber lights to come on, which they do when the solenoid is energized, but that doesn't prove the system works. Right. The propeller speed must stabilize in addition to the lights coming on. That's what proved the pitch lock test passed, but pushing the button for one or two seconds doesn't prove the system worked because it's not enough time for the propeller speed to stabilize. Investigators analyzed previous flights and found that most pilots did not press the button long enough for the propeller speed to stop rising. So the crew did not perform the test properly. They deviated from procedure. No es bueno. However, hmm. The pitch lock test really only checks the solenoid circuit at the engine level only and is not indicative of the pitch lock system as a whole. And there was not an airframe level check for the flight crew. Why is that important? Well, the solenoid might have been working, but the system as a whole may have been unserviceable. So it doesn't really make a difference whether or not the crew performed the pitch lock test because it may not have detected a system malfunction. Excellentro. Excellentro. And that was the analysis. Great. Awesome. Basically, this nigh impossible thing happened, and we don't know why. We don't exactly have Because we can't recreate it. Nope. Because we don't know how it happened. Nope. Exactly. And it was supposed to be impossible. It is statistically impossible. But it's not. But nothing is <laughs> truly impossible. But it's not. Because what's that? What's the law? Murphy's Law? Murphy's Law. Thank you. Murphy's Law. Okay. If you really care to go read all the mumbo jumbo, feel free to. Uh, my brain died. The report is on the website. I stared at it for about 20 minutes and I said, I'm going to summarize and you can fight me on it later. Do you want more technical? I really hope not. Nope. Okay, good. Okay, so I'm still here because there are no findings. Oh. So when we take the break, I will be back. Yep. Okay, we're back.
Okay. Like we said, there's no findings, so. And here's three paragraphs. This is a nice, long. Conclusion. That. So not probable cause. No, it's just, just the conclusion. conclusion. The direct cause of the L410 uniform Victor Papa Echo 20 Romeo Alpha 67047 now aircraft you, accident. Now you know why I didn't grab the registration on this one. <laughs> Russian registrations are extreme. They have these insane. Well, no, those are aircraft type. The tail number started with Romeo Alpha. Yeah, Romeo Alpha. Yeah, that's correct. Was the uncommanded in-flight right-hand engine propeller blade setting to the angle of minus 1.8 degrees, which is significantly below the minimum in-flight pitch angle, 13.5 degrees, with throttle control levers set to forward thrust? It caused the significant rolling and turning moments, the aircraft loss of speed and controllability, and the subsequent with-the-ground collision. (laughs) English is hard. There's a footnote. What does the footnote say? Oh, no. (laughs) Oh. Oh? The footnote is a note from the Czech investigators. Oh? They request the word of this para as follows. The negative thrust and increased power on left-hand engine without using higher deflection of rudder to eliminate high yawing moment resulted in a insignificant side-slip angle rolling and turning moment. The aircraft loss of speed and controllability and the subsequent with-the-ground collision. (laughs) Again, with the the with-the-ground collision. Sorry. The propeller blades setting to the negative angles was caused by the failure of two systems, the beta feedback system and the pitch lock system. As the propeller pitch lock system components that are to be tested during the pitch lock test most probably did not contribute to the system malfunction, then it is unlikely that the crew's deviation of the pitch lock test procedure could have make any difference in the detection of the said system malfunction before the flight. Could have make. Could have make. Could have make. The said situation had been classified as extremely improbable during the aircraft type certification. So, there was no required crew actions in AFM, or Aircraft Flight Manual, I'm assuming, for such situations, and the respective crew training was not required. There are 24 recommendations. There are, and we're not doing all of them. And actually, the first 12 of them are not recommendations. They're what they actually did. Oh. They are the actions taken. What'd they do? Measures taken. So that's what we're going to get into. Things that changed after this accident. The Russian CAA have made a one-time inspection for correct beta range and propeller control system settings on the GEH-80-200 engines. So they inspected the beta range on all of these engines in Russia. Good. On the 4th of December, 2017, the aircraft designer and manufacturer issued the information bulletin Yada, yada, yada. On engines, propellers, control check for the LET-410, UVP-E20 aircraft starting with serial number 2904. So all of them with the same equipment, basically. They mandated a check. To that end, the European Aviation Safety Association mandated that that be followed. So that didn't just go to Russia. That went to anywhere the LET was being used within Mm -hmm. Europe. On the 15th of December, 2017, the aircraft designer and manufacturer issued the European Aviation Safety Administration. EASA. EASA. Approved documentation bulletin. I'm sorry. EASA. Yes. Oh, God, don't do that. No. (laughs) It's an abbreviation, not a word. Which introduces the required crew actions in case of the beta range cell. Comes on during various phases of flight. They're really bad. Oh my god, they actually told you what to do? The really bad English of them saying that they actually 
found a way to instruct the crew on how to react should something like this happen. Again. Feather the engine. Yes, that's the gist of it. Basically, that's the training for it. <clears throat> on the 7th of March, 2018, the aircraft manufacturer issued the mandatory bulletin, the LET-410, by which there were implemented changes into electrical circuit of the pitch lock system testing. So that whole testing thing we were talking about, they were changes to how that testing should be done. Again, not that that would have changed the outcome of this accident. No. But they also found, hey, y'all are not doing this right. Right. So associated with that, the aircraft manufacturer issued the documentation bulletin for the LF 410 and introducing into the flight manual instructions for pitch lock functional testing before each flight instead of pitch lock testing before each flight day and adjusting the execution of the test. Now, again, none of this would have affected this flight. No. change a thing. So that's the unfortunate part of that. On the 29th of March, 2018, the engine designer and manufacturer issued the service bulletin for the SBH-80 ordering a one-time inspection and adjustment of engine push-pull control of part number M601-76.3, as well as installation of the new beta switch, Papa-Sierra-2-Alpha. So, saying they made a change to the part that quickly, basically, so that this wouldn't be an issue again. Yeah. And basically mandated that this be a thing. The EASA quickly followed in saying that this has to be complied with, creating an AD or airworthiness directive. On the 16th of November, 2018, the engine designer and manufacturer issued the service bulletin for the SBH-80, ordering the inspection of engine push-pull controls of part number M601-76.3, as well as of the new beta switch, Papa Sierra-2A, before and during the winter season. thought that was interesting. So they associated weather with this somehow. Weird. So they mandated that the new switch and the beta range be tested on the push-pull lever. On the 12th of April, 2019, the engine designer and manufacturer issued for the SBH-80 and SBH-85, ordering the inspection and adjustment of engine push-pull controls of part number M601-76.3 after any maintenance, repair, or modification action on the engine on the propeller or on the airplane that can affect the settings of the push-pull control lever, so there should be an inspection anytime maintenance is done to these levers, anytime. Because it can be absolutely devastating if yes. something went wrong. Yes. And it just it just makes sense. I mean, if you know that there's a potential for a fault that is obviously catastrophic, then you should be checking it to make sure that that's not likely. <laughs> kind of important. So... That's all of the things that changed basically for each one of those. There was also a bullet point saying that the ASA mandated this. So now we're going to go into the things that were recommended. I am skipping almost all of them. We're only doing two. <laughs> oh. Because all of the recommendations were pretty much stating the same things that they let, did. Let and GE already fixed. Mm, thanks for that. So all these recommendations and most of them are useless. They recommend to assess the risks related to the fact that aircraft operators use the Russian translation of the LET-410 aircraft flight manual, which is not part of the type design certification documentation and was provided by the manufacturer for information only, quote-unquote. 
know. Based on this assessment, to take corrective action to analyze the applicability of this recommendation to other types of foreign-made aircraft. So the whole thing is that the manual was not produced in Russian, Russian officially. So they shouldn't have been operating the aircraft based using, solely on it, using solely Russian flight manuals. They should be using the English-issued flight manual or another official language issued flight manual by the manufacturer because there can be errors and such. They are listed as for information only. So they might not be complete. They might not have accurate information. The translations may be poor, so it's not recommended. So to that end, they recommend to develop and implement the English language awareness qualification requirements for the flight crews, which operate aircraft with documentation provided in English, as well as for the maintenance staff, which perform maintenance for the said aircraft, this recommendation is provided repeatedly, meaning that they have recommended this before. Mm. And since. Yes. So the whole thing with that is obviously, and these are the only two recommendations that I'm doing because, again, the rest of this is really repetitive on what's already been done. But the whole thing to this is this was directed at the Russian CAA, Civil Aviation Authority, saying that they should be making sure that the flight manuals used for actual aircraft are either officially produced in Russian for most Russian aircraft, or you're making sure that the people are trained so that they can read English or English. something of an official language. I wonder how that's going right about now. Probably doesn't matter right about now. Yeah. <laughs> Since their goal right now is pretty much just to produce as many Russian aircraft as possible. You mean because all of their American or European made aircraft are unserviceable? Pretty much going to be mothballed soon. Yeah. Yep. Because no one wants anything to do with them. Yeah, and so they can't get parts or ask for help in fixing them. So, you know. They can fix that. They just need to stop being... Or you really, said it, not me! Or really, their <clears throat> dictator needs to stop being a... Yeah. Oh, is that where that word comes from? Ha! That's funny. Okay. So, yeah, that's pretty much it as a whole. They did some pretty good changes to... The let after they figured out this was a problem, obviously. Even though it was only supposed to be a one in a hundred trillion problem. Right. Now, that said, I did read somewhere in the report that there was another instance of the same airline's let going into the beta range on a flight, but it was recovered and it wasn't an issue. So not one in a hundred trillion. It's obviously not one in a hundred trillion, especially since there really aren't that many let for tens out there in the world. Okay. That being said, there have been about 1300 made and they've had 116 accidents. Your track record is garbage. Yeah. It's not good. Yeah. Maybe you should look into that. Well, that's, it's kind of what you get with being a small aircraft manufacturer. I don't care. That's and almost really only making one aircraft. That's almost 10%. Yep. I feel like when you're only making one aircraft, your safety record should be better than people making multiple aircraft. Yes and no. This is kind of, so you've, you've hit on a very philosophical point, because also they're new, <laughs> er, and they don't know how everything works yet. This is their first attempt at it, and that's kind of common with new aircraft manufacturers in places of the world that don't have a lot of them. <laughs> I don't know. It, it, it's kind of fishy to me that they're like, this can't happen because it's in a one in a billion, trillion, whatever chance. But this is just what we calculated based on we don't have a clue because this right. is a new airplane. Which, I mean, <laughs> listen, from our podcast alone, you should always assume Murphy's Law that something's <laughs> going to go wrong. 
Yes. And if it does go wrong, even if it's a one in a 10 trillion chance. 100 trillion. Whatever. Yeah. Any kind of trillion chance. Yes. That it's going to happen. It's going to happen. still figure out how to fix it so that if it does. Right. They know what to do. Right. Yep. Okay. I don't remember what the flight number or the name <laughs> of the airline is. Haberovsk Airlines. Flight 463. There you go. Thanks for listening. I'm going to do my weekly, you should check out the Patreon pitch. Yes, you should. Because you should. You should also check out the merch. We got lots of merch. Yes, we do. And if you're a patron, you get a discount. Double whammy right there. Not that they're like excessively expensive. I know we haven't talked about this in a while, but we are fans of other podcasts. And it's always really disappointing when you go to like buy, I don't know, a t-shirt. And it's some extreme amount of money, like $40 for a t-shirt. Yeah, no, thank you. And we tried really hard to not do that. I mean, there's a few. It depends on it depends the design. On, it depends on cost of manufacture. Yeah. So, like, the cotton are less expensive than the jersey. If there's more, like, if the CRM t-shirts are more expensive than just the hard landing t-shirts because there's multiple. But, like, more to my point, I mean, a mug is $14. I feel like that's pretty reasonable. Now, be prepared. If you're international... The shipping is very expensive. I feel like you should already be prepared for that. It's that is just very a, expensive. Fortunately, a regular, and product. it's not. We do not control that. The company that we make the merch through controls that. Yeah. So please don't get mad at us for the shipping rate. It's not our fault. By the way, guys, fanny pack, hundred percent worth it. Oh yeah, me and Christy wore them yesterday <laughs> yeah. during the parade. Well, game changer. They're great. They also hold a lot of stuff. If you look up any pictures from. Mile High Freedom Band at the St. Patrick's Day Parade, you will note us because we have Hard Landings merch on. Yes. If you can even see me. I don't know if you can even see me. I don't know what pictures they have and have not published. There's a few pictures of you, but there's not very many pictures of me. But anyway, like I said, check it out. If you you feel like you would like something, you should order it. Yes. Yeah, like we have cotton t-shirts for 13 bucks. Yeah. For a podcast, I'm pretty proud of that. Considering I have a shirt from Crime Junkie that cost me $30 and is kind of a piece of Yeah. I still wear it. Yeah. But it's it's not great. Anyway. Anyway. Just putting that out there. We tried to make it accessible as much as possible. It is not a money grab operation for us. It's because we want Gosh, merch. No. We want merch. So yeah. we wanted you guys to have that opportunity too. BT Dubs, the sweatshirt, 100% worth it. Yes. Me and Christy both have sweatshirts. Oh, yeah. They're great. That's the one thing I don't have from our merch. I bought mine. I know. I might have to buy one. Just be careful with I want the any dress. of... Huh? I want the hoodie dress. I want a lot of the stuff. And <laughs> I, we have pajama sets? Yeah, I added those. Nice. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have to do another merch order. Um, Pro tip, if you guys get any merch that is wearable and has the logo on it, Wash it inside out. Yes. Yes. Because the logo will come off. With, it's kind of normal okay. with most merch these days. That being said, we also wear our merch more than you probably will, unless you're like weirdly obsessed with us, which is 100% valid. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to avidly wear your merch, please wash it inside out. It will preserve the logo. So thank you so much for listening. We do appreciate it. Again, check out Patreon. Check out merch if you want ducks. Be prepared to wait for a little while, but we got ducks. And then make sure, like, if you would like to, you can check out the newsletter. That'll get sent out on the first day or close to the first day each month. Y'all need to get good. 
at the answering. Yeah, the we're, trivia We're going to put more trivia questions. I need more tri- help with the trivia questions. I ran out of trivia questions. Oh, no! Yeah, so we need to put more trivia questions on that document. We'll have to put together some... Now we know what you're going to hyperfixate on. <laughs> Let me just put my cross-stitch away preemptively. So, thank you so much for listening. Sorry for the little rambly ramble stuff. We hope you have a safe and healthy week. We'll catch you all next week. Keep your speed up. Please like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hard Landings Podcast and on Twitter at Hard Landings Pod. Subscribe and leave a five-star review on the platform you are using to listen. If you would like to see photos and sources for this episode, please visit us at hardlandingspodcast.com where you can also leave us feedback and ask questions. This episode was researched and written by Nick and Christy and edited by The Lovely Page. Our theme song was written by Miranda and performed by all three of us plus Leo. And our logo is by Naomi. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.